everyone. Welcome to this week's chapter by chapter recap. My name is Corey. I'm joined today with my husband, Matt Watt. Hey, how are you doing? And, good, good. Good. How are you? Good. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we are going to be taking a look at Leviticus chapter 9 to Numbers chapter 3. Uh, this is a new format for this year, me being joined by Matlock. Uh, and if you prefer the one-on-one -on -one style, check out the description box below. There is a link in there to that style if if that's what you prefer. Uh, if not, we're going to jump right back in. So welcome. Uh, let's get you caught up on your reading or help get it solidified in your mind because we are going through the Bible this year mm -hmm. in its entirety. And so we're moving into a new month. It's going to be good. Yeah. Okay. Leviticus. Leviticus is not traditionally the easiest read, so let us try to help you, right? Yeah, I think so, Leviticus yeah. chapter 9. So Aaron, uh, who is the high priest of Israel and his sons, the other priests, uh, this is a record of them making their first official sacrifices. Uh, they're, they're, so they're working now. They're, they're working in the tent tabernacle, and the glory of God appears after Aaron blesses the people and fire completely consumes the burnt offering and the fat portions that were burning away on the altar. So this um, insinuates something miraculous, something more sudden. So they're just there burning away and all of a sudden, whoomp, they're consumed. That's, the, that's what we get in the scripture. And then the people, as a result of seeing that, they lie prostrate in worship towards uh, God in the tent tabernacle, towards the presence of God. So that's Leviticus 9. Leviticus chapter 10, this one, you know, it takes it, everything's going good. And then right away we see it turn. Uh, the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, uh, they, they offer incense in some form of the wrong way. It's called unauthorized fire. And they are then consumed by fire from the presence of God. So like the sacrifice was slowly burning and then was consumed, they are consumed by the presence of God. And we're told that Aaron and his other son that was working in the tabernacle um, named Ithamar, they were told that they were not allowed to mourn yet because they were on duty. They had to finish their priestly function in the tabernacle first, um, uh, which is which is really interesting. Uh, and, and we're told at the end of the chapter that um, Moses gets angry at Aaron and Ithamar when he hears that they didn't eat the meat of the sin offering for that day. Uh, but Aaron explains it to Moses and, and he tells him like, this is supposed to be a celebratory portion of the priests. How, uh, how are we supposed to eat this in celebration when I've just lost my sons? So this is Aaron's way of mourning without doing the cultural mourning ceremony right. that he would have done, right. tearing his clothes, putting ashes on his head, wailing. So this was his way of mourning and God allowed it and Moses allowed right. it. Right. So for that unauthorized fire, yeah. um, like immediately what comes to mind is an impure heart or mm -hmm. possibly even a procedural problem. Mm -hmm. Specifically, what what is the actual problem here that's happened? Right. So as far as we can tell, like when you look into Leviticus chapter 10, uh, we see God speaking directly to Aaron when he tells him not to mourn. But then he goes on and he says um, that no priests may drink wine or beer 
which is called translated normally as fermented drink, right. when they go into the tent of meeting or they will die. Uh, and, and this is so that you can distinguish between the holy and the common, the unclean and the clean. Mm. So what this seems to intimate, because it's tied together here with Nadab and Abihu, is that they were probably drunk. Uh, they were probably inebriated. Right. And so they did something wrong. They They offered unauthorized fire it was incense, so perhaps it was at the wrong time of day. Perhaps they did it wrong, but regardless, they were likely drunk at this point. Right. Well, so, there, you, there you have there it. There you folks. go. Yeah. Leviticus 10. I All know right. when you look into the details, it's it's uh, sad, but it, it makes sense. Right. Okay, Leviticus chapter 11. This is all about clean and unclean animals. So animals that they were allowed to eat and animals that they were not allowed to eat, the, the people of Israel specifically. So... Uh, for clean animals, we've got on land, they had land animals, uh, they had to have a divided hoof and they had to chew the cud. Uh, clean animals in the sea have fins and scales. Uh, birds, uh, we're told about the birds who are unclean versus uh, the ones that are okay to eat. Uh, and again, bugs that are unclean. Uh, there's four kinds of bugs that ancient Israel was allowed to eat that includes locusts, which is good. That's survival because mm -hmm. if a locust plague comes and eats all your food, you need to have something to eat. So you eat them. Um, yeah. So that is a, right. a clean and unclean animals are described in Leviticus chapter 11. Leviticus chapter 12. This one can get people riled sometimes. This is about purification after childbirth and male circumcision. So, uh, the time for purification for mom and baby after she had a boy was seven days, which is just like uh, for her monthly period or menstruation. And on the eighth day, the baby boy was to be circumcised. And then after that, the mother and baby had 33 days together uh, for her to be cleansed from her bleeding. That right. was, she had this time. Uh, for a girl, there was obviously no circumcision ceremony. So it's 14 days that for the for purification and then 66 days after that to be cleansed from so her bleeding. why is that right so uh no one knows for sure but there are a few reasons why that could be first of all cleansing ha necessarily had to be cut short for a boy because he needed to be circumcised right. while he was young right. like really young eight days, uh, right. so eight days and the mom needed to be there at the circumcision ceremony there was a naming ceremony and often mothers named their children or were involved in the naming right. of their children so they needed to be there um and then with having a baby girl uh, perhaps having an exactly doubled amount of time was to account for the girl's future fertility and bleeding as well okay. so whenever there's blood right. uh, involved and, and and we're gonna see this later on as well whenever there's blood involved ancient Israel had a lot of respect for blood and they always did something uh, that we would consider unusual around blood right. to respect it uh, all right. Um, oh, it's also important to note that a sin offering had to be given uh, for a child. So that's the whole like after seven days for a boy and after 14 days for a girl, a sin offering had to be given. But it's not because childbirth was considered 
sinful or a bad thing. It was actually considered a very good thing. But this offering was about ritual purity. So there was a lot of things. I mean, we've read through parts of the law. There are a lot of things that made people ritually impure, uh, both males and females. Uh, So in this case, again, it's likely that blood that is spilt during childbirth uh, that, that made this important. It made someone ritually unclean, unable to go into the tabernacle without a sacrifice. Um, I mean, menstruation is mentioned in the text again regarding the sin offering, which again is blood and blood was treated specially. So any spilling of blood was considered important. Mm. Uh, Yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, Leviticus chapter 13. This is all regulations about skin diseases, what to do when you think you have a skin disease, what to do when you have a skin disease. And essentially, you would get examined by a priest. And these are all the rules for the priests to how to know whether someone is um, contagious or clean or unclean. Um, If someone was deemed contagious, Uh, They had to live outside the camp, so away from the rest of the Israelites, and they're commanded to live in mourning, so essentially have torn clothes and unkept hair. Uh, And uh, when you had a skin disease, you had the added, I would say, responsibility, and and it's very sad and unfortunate of saying unclean when people would get near you. Like, oh, I'm unclean. Like, don't come near me. I'm contagious. There's also regulations about mold and mildew in fabrics. here in Leviticus chapter 13. Okay, so lots of like procedural things. Yes. Leviticus chapter 14, what happens if a person recovers from their skin disease and there's this process of becoming ritually clean again and acceptable to go into the sacrifice? There's a very weird sacrifice that is slightly reminiscent of the scapegoat sacrifice that is described here, except this one is with birds. You have two birds and one bird is killed over fresh water. And then they take a live bird tied with red yarn to wood and hyssop and they dip it into the water and then they release that bird and let it go free. So without delving into all the symbolism here, because some of it is quite mysterious, this may symbolize the person being as good as dead and coming back to life. Right. Right? They've been cleansed from a skin disease. And then they had to like shave and bathe and offer a sacrifice. Cool. Yeah. Okay, Leviticus chapter 15. So this is all the different ways, like I was talking about before, all the different ways that people could become ritually unclean or impure. And in chapter 15 specifically, this is uh, all, all of them involve personal bodily function. Many of them are normal bodily functions. Now, what Leviticus 15 is not saying is that these normal bodily functions or abnormal bodily functions are inherently sinful. Right. It is saying that these are all human things, not God things. Holy and common. Yes, That's these are common things. Right. Now, I wanted to just kind of put a small note in here that it's really easy for us to cherry pick things out of the Bible, not just from Leviticus, but from anywhere in the Bible, Old and New Testament, and use them to mean what we want them to mean. Right. It's really easy to just go in the scripture and go, oh, see this. This aligns with what I have an idea about. And so here's some, here's some proof for my position. And an example of this would be from Leviticus 15 to claim that human sexual relations are actually evil because um, intercourse made a couple 
ritually impure, right. according to Leviticus chapter 15. But human intercourse is not a sin. However, it's important in this cultural context that intercourse would leave a man and woman ceremonially unclean or ritually impure because that would mean they are not able to enter the tabernacle or offer sacrifices until the evening, so for the rest of the day. Now, the reason why this is so important is because it made the common practice of that time period of ritualizing human sexuality incompatible with the worship of God. Right. So in other words, you can't make weird sexual practices or normal sexual practices a part of the worship of God because it rendered the couple ritually impure. Therefore, they were not allowed to enter the sacred space of the, of the, tem the temple or the tabernacle. So this excludes things like fertility cults that we know were going on in the time period and cultic prostitution that was going on in the land of Canaan. These were all unacceptable practices. So it would be, it's, it's, we could cherry pick this and go see human sexuality was evil. When you actually put it in its context, both biblical and cultural, you realize what's actually going on here. Well, I think also a distinction between unclean and sin yeah. is important. It's very important. Because yes. even Paul says that, not, I, I believe that not all things are unclean in themselves. Yes. Paul, right? So he's not saying not all things are sinless yeah. or without sin, right? So the distinction between unclean and sin, I think, needs to be had. You can't do it today, of course, but definitely mm -hmm. worth a discussion in your own time if you can. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Leviticus chapter 16. This is talking about the Day of Atonement, which was basically offering a sacrifice for all of Israel. It includes instructions for Aaron and then any any other high priests that would come after the lifetime of Aaron on how they should enter the Holy of Holies. This is when they're allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. And they would give a burnt offering uh, for God via the scapegoat sacrifice. So essentially one goat is sacrificed and the other goat is sent into the wilderness carrying the sins of the people far away. So symbolically carrying the sins of the people of Israel far away from Israel. Okay, Leviticus chapter 17. Uh, this talks about how sacrifices and offerings from the people of God needed to be made at the tabernacle rather than to goat idols. This is actually spoken of in the scripture, like don't offer it to your goat idols anymore. So this was apparently a cultural issue. So people had um, like deities that they would that they would offer, like smaller deities right. that they would offer to even in the name of Yahweh. And God's like, nope, don't yeah. do that. You have to do it at the tabernacle. We're also told in Leviticus 17 that they must never eat blood because life, the life force of the animal or the person is in the blood. Uh, so even when hunting, they had to respect blood. Before they could eat the animal, they had to drain the blood and bury the blood. Right. They couldn't just leave it exposed. So there's this respect for and, life. And that even carries over into New Testament when, in the, you know, the first Jerusalem Council, I guess you can call it, with uh, James and everyone's there, yep. Acts 15, verses 20 to 29, mm -hmm. they rule out eating blood. Yeah. And, and strangled me. They, they call that like as a sin that you should give to the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. It's part of it with also sexual morality and different things. So it's interesting to think about like this is one of the the things that we should carry onwards yes. as Christians yes. and not just treat lightly. And this is yes. way back in Leviticus and it's something that, you know, is, is lasting. It's not stopping. And and, and most people believe uh, with the, with Acts 15, 
um, and, and the prohibition against that in, in the early church, yes, it, it represents the respective life, but it also would have distinguished the Gentile Christians from regular Gentiles. Right. Uh, because um, it was common religious practice to eat meat with blood still in it and to sacrifice animals that would be eaten and sold in the marketplace while not draining their blood or strangled animals. There right. were all sorts of these things. Um, so essentially it was be different yeah. from the culture. Be holy. Yes. Yeah. Be how, however that looks in your culture, don't be like your culture anymore. Right. Be more like God than your right. culture is. Second Peter, be holy. You're a holy exactly. people, right? You're the royal priesthood. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You can talk about this all day, but sorry, you I should know. keep going. I, I know. know. It's so interesting. It's so interesting. Okay. Um, Leviticus chapter 18, there's laws about sexual relationships. Uh, in uh, verse 3, clearly states the reasoning for these rules, and that is to be different than the people in Egypt and the people in Canaan. So that flows nicely, doesn't it? <laughs> be different. Don't be of the same culture. Child sacrifice to Molech is absolutely forbidden. Apparently that was a practice that was going on quite regularly. And God's authority is, is cited mm. to as the reason for, like, I am God and I'm telling you not to do this. <laughs> no, so yeah, don't I, do I, it. Yeah, yeah, I, I won't. I, <laughs> don't do I it. Yeah, I won't, I won't right? Do it. Yeah. yeah, Leviticus. Leviticus 18. Okay, Leviticus chapter 19. This chapter is really interesting. It just has a bunch of various laws. Um, things like stand in the presence of the aged, show respect for the elderly. Things like do not turn to a medium or a spiritist, you will be defiled by them. Things like do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart, rebuke your neighbor frankly so that you will not share in their guilt, which is interesting because the foil to not hating a fellow Israelite in your heart is to rebuke them frankly so that you won't share in their guilt. Right. Like, that's really interesting because we yeah. don't often think that the, the foil to, we often think, well, the foil to hate is love. And they're like, yes, the foil yeah. to hate here is, is rebuking. You, is it's telling them someone. the truth. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, it's really important. Also here, Leviticus 19.18 is the, mm -hmm. the one of the foundational verses when the Pharisees and the experts of the law say, hey, Jesus, right. what's the most important law? Right. And he, go, and he boils it down to two things. Uh, love the Lord your God all the, with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second one is like it, which is this, Leviticus 19.18. Right. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right. So all these laws, though, they're very Christian when you read, when you're going to go through these various laws. Very much they're so. They're very uh, foundational in how we think. And so we're, and to tie it back to rebuking someone to their face, it's kind of like, that's how you love your neighbor as yourself. You don't lie to yourself. So if someone's lying... You don't have to do it. You don't have to, you know, lay the the hand of fellowship like smack, smack. Yeah. You don't have to do it hard. Yeah. But you should, you know, depending on the person, you can come at them gently. You come at them harsh, depending who they are. Depending on the situation. Yeah, that's right. Communication is completely situational. Yeah. There's not just one broad application of here's how you yeah. can tell somebody <laughs> that's that they're right. wrong. I know. Right. No, you only do it gently. No, only do it hard. It's like, yeah, come at each person and like guide them into the ways of what it means to be holy. And that's mm -hmm. what Peter's talking about. That's what even Leviticus is talking about. Mm -hmm. The distinction between holy and common is so important. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very normal for us just to kind of sit back and go, well, he made the mistake. I don't need to, I don't need to talk about it. Yeah. But if you leave that, if you leave that ethic along around for too long, society's going to crumble. Yep. Like it's just the way it is. Everyone's always private living their own lives. No one's just talking to each other face to face. 
So I think it's a really important ethic that you we need to communicate. Yeah, we need to communicate. We need yeah. to communicate, but we can't also get lazy in our communication, being like, "Well, I said it, so if they don't listen, it's up to them." It's like, <laughs> yeah. no, no, no. We need to try to communicate in a way that they will best be able to understand us. Right. This is how God communicates to humanity throughout the entire Old Testament and New Testament, yeah. and we see examples of this, uh, like the prophet Nathan. Uh, telling David, he doesn't just go to him and he's like, guess what? You committed adultery and murder and you're wrong. <laughs> he sets up some elaborate scenario because yeah. he personally knows David and right. he knows how David it will hear him. Yeah, that's right. And so he communicates to David in a way that David will understand yeah. or has the best opportunity to understand. Mm. Anyway, no, it's I good. know we're going off, so we'll bring it back, but it's interesting. Yeah. Okay, Leviticus chapter 20, this is punishments, various punishments for breaking various laws, including being cut off from the people of Israel and even death. Leviticus chapter 21, these are various rules for the priests and the high priest, who they could mourn for or not, uh, so become ceremonially, this means who could they become ceremonially unclean for and therefore miss work? Mm -hmm. Who could they miss work for? That's that's what this is. Who they could and couldn't marry, things like this. Life rules for the priests. Chapter 22 is again for the priests, but this time it's how to treat the sacrificial meat that they get as food with respect. So who can eat this food? Uh, and basically, it's anyone that the priests are directly responsible for. So anyone in their family, anyone who's dependent on them, servants, etc. But not guests or employees that they're just hiring, like temporary employees. Uh, so we're also told which animals are okay to sacrifice and which animals are not okay for them to sacrifice. Leviticus 23, this is the festivals are described of Israel. So we've got Sabbath. Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruits, uh, which is harvest, mm -hmm. the Feast of Weeks, which is also called Pentecost, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And Lots of feasts. The only two not mentioned, because they haven't happened yet, are Purim and Hanukkah. That's right. right. That's right. They will happen at a later date. Yeah, in the New Testament. Times. Esther, and yeah. then in between, the intertestamental period. That's right. In between old and new. Okay, Leviticus chapter 24. Uh, there's this overall theme of God's holiness that shines through in 24 here. So only the best olive oil can be burned in the tabernacle lamps and the bread, the showbread has to be made of the finest flour for the tabernacle. Uh, also in Leviticus 24, a blasphemer is put to death. Um, Blasphemer is someone who cursed God's name. And in this case, it was a half Egyptian, half Israelite who got in a fight with an Israelite and blasphemed the name of God. And he was put to death. Leviticus chapter 25, this talks about the Sabbath year. So every seventh year, the land had to rest. Mm -hmm. It also talks about the year of Jubilee. So every 50th year, uh, property was returned, uh, all except for houses in walled cities. Those were sold permanently. Mm -hmm. uh, but slaves uh, and hired service. So if you were a slave, you would get released mm -hmm. in the year of Jubilee. So it was a different economic, a completely different economic system than what we see today. Oh, yeah. I, I read when I was doing the study into, this is slightly off topic, but I was doing a study into Christ when Christ died. Yeah. Some speculate that that was actually a year of jubilee which That's is interesting thought really interesting but mm -hmm. despite that it's speculation i want to get into it now <laughs> but, <laughs> but you're like but interesting. interesting food for this i want to look into this if you're watching 
<laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Leviticus 26, this is rewards for following God for the Israelites. So these rewards would be dependable rain and good harvests, peace from enemies, and the presence of God. So really good things. Food, peace, and God's presence. Yes. <laughs> the punishment for disobedience is really the opposite. Uh, it starts with enemies invading the land, Israel being defeated, so that lack of peace. And then if that doesn't get the Israelites to return to God, then um, it's going to keep happening until they're scattered among the nations and they don't become, they're, they're no longer a people who's self-ruled. And this will act as a forced jubilee time period. So if you right. don't do these things, then I, basically, if you don't do these things, then I'm going to give the land rest from you, right. essentially. Um, but there's this undercurrent of hope, even in 26, whenever judgment is spoken of of Israel, there's this undercurrent of hope, which is amazing. And everyone always leaves out when they talk about the nature of God in the Old Testament. But um, this, there's this hope that the people will confess their sin and God will be able to be with them and remember the covenant with Abraham and bring them back and, and restore them. This essentially happens. Like, Oh, it does. It, it happens. Yeah. And even to the point where Jeremiah is like, turn, turn. But it's like, mm -hmm. it full blown happens. It does. Um, Small at first and then big. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It just, it was slow. It slowly kept happening. It got worse and worse and worse. Then the, the mohol became a mountain. Yes, it did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it did. Not good. No. Not in a good way. No. Okay, the last chapter of Leviticus is here, Leviticus chapter 27. So these are all about vows of dedication. So you could give yourself to serve into the service of God, into the service of the tabernacle, and how to get out of that vow early. So how to redeem yourself out of that vow if you needed to. So you could dedicate yourself, you could dedicate a child to God for service in the tabernacle. And then if you wanted out early from that service, you could redeem them or yourself with a specified amount of money to um, reimburse the tabernacle essentially for that lost service. So this is a volunteer service that you basically just pay for them to hire someone if, if you're not able to fulfill your volunteer mm. hours, I guess you could <laughs> yeah. say. Um, different amounts of money are designated for different age groups and uh, also genders within the age group. And I just want to make a note here what the Bible is not saying, because our culture is very sensitive towards this. What the Bible is not saying here is that this is what the people themselves were worth, mm. uh, their life value, if you will. What it is saying is that this is what their labor was worth at the time. Yeah. So a child's labor is going to cost different than well, an adult's yeah, labor. Yeah, do physically do less. It's just the way yes. it is. Right. Yes. It, 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 it could have also been based off of the type of work that they were able to do right. for the tabernacle. Uh, we, we just don't know the specifics of it. But again, it's not, it's not claiming to designate a, a monetary value for someone's life. This is literally for a time period of work. Yeah. time period of service okay oh uh numbers let's move on to numbers sure yeah, just do it it's only numbers. three chapters yeah. i know i'm excited we're, we're getting close to uh finishing up this week and <laughs> continuing to move through the law numbers it's important to know about the book of numbers that this is more of a transitional book mm -hmm. it has a lot more narrative in it because what's happening is we're going to see the rebellion and the death 
of most of the generation of the Israelites who came out of Egypt in the Exodus. And then we're going to see the next generation stepping up and getting ready to go into the promised land. So there's this massive transition historically that happens and is recorded by the book of Numbers. So Numbers chapter one, Uh, they're told to take a census in the wilderness. Moses is told to take a census in the wilderness as they're preparing to go in the promised land. Mm -hmm. So everyone get ready, check out your numbers. What, what is this going to look like? <laughs> what, how, you know what your military numbers are now that you're going to go into the promised land. And they, they do this and they, take everyone, they number everyone except for the Levites. Because right. the Levites weren't allowed to fight. They were right. to be dedicated to the tabernacle. So no warfare for you, Levites. Uh, numbers chapter 2, this is all about how the camp was arranged around the tabernacle. So the specifics of when the camp of Israel moved in the wilderness... What did that look like? Where were they all situated or was it just kind of like a big glump of people? We learned it was not a big glump of people. Numbers chapter three, this is our final chapter for today. This is a different census for the Levites. So we see, they still counted them, how many there were, how they were divided among their families, and then the internal division of the Levites. So we learn about the Gershonite clans, the Kohathite clans, and the Merorite clans, and what they did for the tabernacle service. And we learn that each one of these three families did something different in the tabernacle and how they carried the tabernacle and all of its accessories in the wilderness. And that's numbers one to three. We did it. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> All Good right. job, guys. We did it. Another week down Leviticus 9 to numbers three. If you have any questions or comments, pop them down in the comment boxes below. And Matlock and I will get to it this week. We will be reading your responses and responding back ourselves. I hope you have a really good week. And I hope you're ready to start numbers four tomorrow. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under donate. Your support really means a lot to us.